Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm here with Ricky Ponting on what should have been the final day of the Vodafone Ashes series. Uh, it wrapped up two days ago. Ricky, let's start with who your player of the series might have been. Travis Head got the honour on Sunday night. Would you have gone with him or would you have picked someone else? No, I think, yeah, I would have gone with Travis, actually. Um, and I know he missed that one test match, and um, but played brilliantly around that, really. When you think back to Brisbane, the first test up there, um, Pretty challenging conditions as well in that test match. And, and the reason I'm going to go with Travis is just because of how challenging the conditions were for, for batsmen. Um, you know, we've seen, you look at the, the numbers, all the Australian bowlers were able to dominate, weren't they? Pretty much every single one of the bowlers had a, had a really good series, which suggest, and as we know, suggested the wickets were, were tough to bat on. But, um, you know, two, th- those two hundreds that Travis made, and even, I mean, Brisbane was quite remarkable the way that he played up there to bring up his 100 off 85 balls. But even in Hobart, when, you know, things were pretty tough on that first day, um, you know, Australia three for 12, uh, but he had the conviction to come out and play his natural game and 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 did it really, really well. I mean, I think England look back and, and understand that they probably missed a trick for potentially most of the series with the way that they bowled to him after what we saw in the second innings in Hobart. But um, no, I think, I think, um, I think he was quite clearly the, the uh, man of the series, is, in my opinion. I although although I wouldn't have, although I wouldn't have given him man of the match in Hobart. I would have gone the other way in Hobart. I would have had um, Green as man of the match down there, but but still head as the uh, as the man of the series. Yeah, I think that's quite fair. Given Green had uh, had done well with bat and ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I could ask you about England for about you know half an hour, mate. But we've uh, we've talked about them a lot in this series. The one question I do have for you that I, I didn't ask you while the series was going on: Would you let England players play in the Sheffield Shield as uh, as it looks like their CEO might have requested? Ah, uh, no, no, I wouldn't. Okay. Um, and, and I mean, I think the the suggestion was to let some of their young young up-and-coming players come and play in the Sheffield Shield. And um, I, I don't see the benefit in that to, to Australian cricket whatsoever. I mean, I think the fact that overseas players have been able to go to county cricket is because they've all they've all been better players than what the county players are. They're all, um, you know, and they're bringing experience and, you know, knowledge and everything to the counties um, and helping their younger players out. But it, I don't think it would... And that's why the... You know, that's obviously why... Um, the counties chase the overseas players. One to strengthen their their teams, and two to to, to for the younger players to learn from. And it, it'd be the exact opposite of that. You know, you'd have to even have to question if you know some of the younger England players that came out here if they'd actually be good enough to to even play in the Sheffield Shield competition. Um, so, and I mean, it, and it's not it's not as simple as county cricket either. With all the teams there, they're actually looking for players. We we've got nowhere near as many teams here, and um, you know, so we. Quite often, there's guys that probably should be playing shield cricket that, that can't get an opportunity. So I, 
I, I don't see the benefit in it for, for Australian cricket whatsoever. I mean, I they're probably better off to be to be honest. That come and play grey cricket for sure, because I think the you know grey cricket's probably as strong as as what some county cricket is anyway. Um, and if it's not, they're still going to get they're still playing in in Australian conditions with the Kookaburra ball, all the things that they want to be able to do. I think they can probably do. Um, in you know, in probably the, the stronger grade setups in Australia, whether it's in Sydney or, or Melbourne grade cricket. I know you wind the clock back 20, 30, 40 years ago. There were, there were always a lot of um, English players coming and pl- playing, particularly in Perth. You know, Alex Stewart and guys like that played summer after summer in of grade cricket in, in WA. So, and, and even thinking about that, if, if it's about conditions and learning about faster, bouncier pitches, maybe that's the place for them to go as well. Because, you know, there or Queensland where um, you know, grey crickets are probably a lot different than what they play on in the UK. They can, I, I still think they've got an opportunity to learn about Australia and Australian conditions without actually playing Sheffield Shield cricket. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Ricky. If you think about the last three Ashes series, England haven't won a test. Clearly, something is, 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 is off. If you think also about the Ashes series being quite important to Australian cricket, um, we want it to be competitive, obviously, um, although I imagine everyone kind of wants Australia to win. Do you do you think there might be you know that 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 that's potentially a reason if we want to keep the the rivalry alive? Oh, look once again, I think it just comes back to the quality of the player that they would what they would want to um you know get into the shield system. It's it's not I you know if it's if it's some of their better you know if it's a Pope or a Billings those sort of guys that you can see that have got um, international quality games then and. and and they're not keeping potentially in a, a future Australian player out of the Shield team, then fine. But I, mean, I think, you know, they, they've got to be looking at getting their own backyard right first over there. I mean, I've just read some of the comments that Joe Roots had to, to say at the end of this series, talking about how, you know, if guys have come into the team, um, you know, it's not been on the back of county cricket helping them get there. It's, it's almost been the other way. You know, county cricket is actually holding a lot of their, their players back is what he believes. So... I think that's the obvious thing. They've got to sort that out first. Um, you know, Bumble, I thought, made a really good point on one of the, the tea chats we had with him about just how early in the, in the year they're now playing county cricket, they're almost playing it like in the winter months with, you know, underprepared wickets and um, the ball seeming around all over the place. You know, some of the Joe's comments this morning, I think, were, um, you know, what, why would anyone want to open the batting in county cricket? Why does anyone want to bat at the top? Um, you know, that there's, there's no incentive for that. There's no, actually no incentive for anyone to run and, and be a fast bowler anymore in county cricket because it's it, you've only got to run in and bowl sort of slow, medium pace and stand the seam up and you're unplayable. So there's a few things there, I think, that they have to try and work out. And we've I think we've had a, we've battled that as well through, the, you know, with the Big Bash being the, the time of year that it is and getting the right amount of shield games in the guys before the, the test matches start and then, you know, how do you keep guys in form through the test summer when there's only big bash cricket on? So there's all there's all these challenges that we've had as well. But um, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I would end, I would I would think about letting some of these guys play in our shield competition if they are better than what we've got. But if they're not better, um, then I don't see the benefit in it. Let's think about Australia now. Uh, Pat Cummins has made it very clear that winning away um, is now the big, the team's biggest challenge. Obviously, they've got Pakistan and Sri Lanka to go to this year for the test uh, for the test team, and then India and England potentially in 2023. Should all Australia's planning, particularly around test cricket, be geared towards India and, and England next year? Um, oh, look, I don't think all of it. I think they'll keep one eye on, on that. Um, but I think, you know, on the back of what they've just done and obviously things heading in the right direction, I think they've just got to be, you know, stay in the present as much as possible. And, um, 
try. Oh, I think a, a, a really big, not a challenge, but a thing that they would like to be able to do now is just keep this group as close together as possible, you know, not potentially have too many changes around their group. You know, we, I think we used 14 or 15 players in this in this series. That was on the back of a couple of injuries and obviously with Marcus Harris's sort of not grabbing his opportunity. But you, you would like to think for the next couple of years now with what we've seen that there probably won't be many changes in the group. And I think that, that'll be a, hopefully be a sort of a, a target or a plan for them. Um, yeah, so Pakistan, Sri Lanka, um, yeah, they'll, they'll be challenging. You know, that, that might be easy. Pakistan are a, a good team that will play their conditions really well. You know, we've had we've had issues in Sri Lanka in the past, although their the depth of their cricket right now is probably not as as good or as strong as it as it you know it sort of once was. Um so yeah, we'll, we'll, but I, I I don't think all of their planning just should be around India and England. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I've worded you up on on this one, Ricky. Um, in terms of, I'd like you to give me three players who didn't play in these Ashes series or in this Ashes series for Australia, who might be important uh, for for I guess the next couple of years in Test cricket. Yeah, well, even the next couple of series, really. I mean, the first one that, that you know, Mitch Swepson is one that with ten Test matches coming up in the subcontinent, you'd think that there'll be times where they'll potentially want to play the two spinners. Um, you know, Swepo's been around the setup for the last couple of summers. Um, he's improved greatly um, listening to James Hopes and guys that have worked with him pretty closely at Queensland. Um, you know, his last Shield season was really good. Um, even his record bowling at the Gabba the last few years is, is good as well. So he's and, and and there was some some noise about him potentially playing in Sydney as well, wasn't there? So um, I think he's the obvious one that that we didn't see in this series, especially with what's coming up. Um, Pekoski is probably the other one um, as well that we we just hope that he's going to be able to get back to to full health and and fitness and you know he's back playing grade cricket now which is a good sign um, you know and I think at the moment that he does get a bit of cricket under his belt I think they'll get him back straight back into the squad and have him around um, you know obviously he was he was the first choice opener you know this time twelve months ago and um, just played that one test and. And hurt himself, and then a few of the other concussion things have come back again. But I think you know what we saw in that first test that he played against India. Uh, he looked very much at home. Technically, um, he, he stood up, um, and he's been you know talked about for the last three or four years as someone that's potentially you know better than most, or, or sorry, better than probably every every other young player that we've we've got in Australia. So it'd be good to see him back and and around the group again. Um, the third one gets a bit tougher. Um, you know, the bowling stocks, I think, you know, the depth we've got in the bowling stocks we've seen with Boland and Nisa and and Jai and those guys having played. Um, you know, I think there's still potential somewhere for someone like a Riley Meredith to, to sort of probably add his name in amongst that sort of top group of fast bowlers as well, just with what he's got being a bit different than most. You know, that, that real dynamic high 140s, the 150 sort of pace that we've seen in big bash cricket and... So I think there's a there's an there might be an opportunity for him, um, you know, in the next couple of years, looking at a even looking to the next Ashes tour if they're looking for a bit more pace to be you know to add to just to be added to that group. I think there's a chance for someone like him. Um, yeah, look, there's not many. I mean, as far as a backup keeper, I guess they'll, they'll, if they go on tours, they might think about taking a couple of keepers. And I think Josh Inglis is the one, although he hasn't had a great big bash. Um, I, th- I still think he'll be the next cab off the rank as far as um, keeper batters are concerned that, that'll, that'll play test cricket. I'll be talked about a, a playing test cricket. And that's not because I think Kerry won't be around 
for the next couple of years. But if, you, if you're looking at a backup or if there's an injury, injury to carry, then I think he's probably the, the obvious one that we haven't seen yet that would probably be added to, to a, a touring group. So they're probably the, the three or four that I've just thrown at you there that, that would be a chance, I reckon, in the next two years. Yep, you've given me a bonus player. Very good. Um, Ricky, is Justin Langer the right man to lead Australia beyond this series? I can't see how he's not, mate. I, I'm, I know there was a bit of noise created the last couple of weeks and Cricket Australia giving no assurances to him um, continuing on. Um, it sounds like there's a bit of uncertainty around what they're going to do with the, the head coach's role anyway. If they're going to split the roles, if they're just going to keep it as the one person across all formats. Um, you know, I don't know how far or they are down the down the line with planning that or thinking about doing that or if they're back internally if they've actually made a decision that they are going to split the roles. So look I, I can't see how Justin can't go on. And the way that the way that I would equate it as well is if if you know if Justin is not to be offered another deal on the back of the best coaching year of his life, then you know if you if you equate that to a player, that's just, that's like Travis Head not getting offered a contract next year. Um so I, I just can't see how it's possible. Uh, and, you know, I think the other thing that they have to probably keep in the back of their minds, as, whether it's the players, whether it's Cricket Australia, is that, you know, sometimes the grass is not always greener either. And what they've been able to do has been pretty remarkable these last four or five months. You know, Justin's been asked to change a lot of things about, um, you know, about the way that he coached. He's been able to do that, obviously. Well, I think we've all seen that, how much of a, a, back, a back seat he's sort of taken the last few months compared to beforehand. And, um you know, he's got the assistants um, more more heavily involved and helping out more, which is, you know, one of the things that apparently needed to change around the group. So he's he's done everything that's been asked of him and the results have followed. So I just can't see how he, if, if he wants to continue on, I can't, I just can't see how he doesn't get another two or three year extension on his, or not extension, but just another two or three year contract. Have you spoken to him, Ricky? Is, is he keen to keep going? Um, I haven't asked him that question um, specifically, but, I would. I, mean, I just know. I just know he loves. The, he loves the job. He loves being the coach of the Australian cricket team. He's a. He's a. You know. He's a very competitive person, and you know he's had some pretty lofty uh, goals and things he's wanted to achieve, especially with the World Cup just happened, and then the Ashes. Then we've got another World. You know, T Twenty World Cup coming up in you know under twelve months' time. So, um, I, yeah. Look, I haven't actually sat down with him and, and just said out now. Do you, do you want to keep doing this? But I, I've got the feeling that it's. I mean, it's just in his blood. He'd want to keep doing it, especially now that he's um, he's changed himself and 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 the success has followed. So I can't say why I wouldn't want to keep doing it. How, how much input should players have in? You know, there, there's obviously going to be some kind of process in, in terms of reviewing uh, whether it's splitting the roles or, or whatever it needs to be. How much input should should the playing group have in that? Uh, playing group, I think, is a bit broad. I think a couple of players, a couple of senior players, would be enough. I, I would imagine. I, I don't see why. You know, a fringe player or someone that's been in the test side or whatever. I don't understand why that they'd even be asking a lot of the players to be honest. I look, Pat Fine, Finchy Fine, he was the captain of the of the of the teams respectively. Um, yeah, maybe a couple of the more of the senior guys, but I, that that's all. I, I don't think it needs to go um, any further than that. And you touched on, I guess, the the splitting the roles, and that's something that's been talked about. You know, even um, even as as towards the end of Darren Lehman's tenure as coach. Um, I mean, how much of an app? We know, and we know Justin's got a huge appetite for for kind of coaching, and he has enjoyed doing all three formats. But do, is that if he does kind of continue on, is it potentially one where he might just take the test team or might just take the 
the one day and T20 team, like given, you know, given how much COVID has impacted things and how much, how many series there they might have to kind of make up is, do they really need to kind of look at that? Yeah. I mean, it's been, there's no doubt it's been a challenging couple of years for anyone that's played international sport. Like cricket's probably been as affected as, as any, um, and it's, you know, the COVID things and the bubble, the lifestyle they've had to live and um, lead. And I know even with Justin now, I mean, I don't think he's seen his family since the start of the summer. And, he, and even to now, I don't think he can't actually get back into WA now, even if he wanted to, I don't think, until about the 5th of February. So um, there's no doubt it's been hard for him and been challenging for him. As far as, uh, yeah, if they did split the roles, I don't know what he would, what he would want to do. I mean, and, and even splitting the roles, it, it sounds easy and it sounds like a great idea, but... It, I just think that there's could be some other issues and problems that come with that as well. If you've got a white ball coach that um, is one sort of person, one sort of personality, then you switch over the next week to someone that's completely different with the way that they look at the game and, and view people and players. I mean, it's, I think one thing you would want as a player, you want, you want continuity. I would imagine. I mean, that's what, what I would have wanted when I was playing. Um, I would have, you know, I wanted a coach that understood me as a person and understood my, um, technique and what I was doing when I was batting well and what I was doing when I wasn't batting well that's sort of sort of all I wanted from a coach and if you've got you know two different sets of eyes looking at that and critiquing it um through the course of you know even from week to week then that could that could pose and present its own set of challenges as well I think for for a cricket team so I I think you know if if there's if there's someone there that can do it um and is willing to give up as much time as it takes um for to fulfill that head coach's role of the Australian cricket team, then I would, I would 100% list leave it at, at the one person. But if, if it's getting too hard and too challenging and um, and it's wearing the, the coaches down to a point where they can't function as well as they need to, then then that would be the only time that I'd think about splitting the roles. And, and if that did happen uh, around the T20 team, Ricky, is it something you'd be you'd be interested in doing? Um, oh, look, I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested. Um, I'd have to have a look at how it sort of, fit in with everything else that I'm sort of doing though with with IPL and and even just with the the Channel 7 stuff in the summer um you know obviously with 7 we don't do the international games anyway so there, there might be a chance that it that it could work and I'll definitely entertain the idea I mean I've, I've, I've always I've been on record for since I finished really um when I've been asked about coaching around the Australian team it's it's always been a time commitment that I'm not sort of willing to give up but if it was a specific T20 role only, which even with that would probably would mean then that you've got three separate coaches, which is, you know, I don't think that wouldn't be ideal. If you've got a T20 coach, a one day coach and a test coach, I don't think that would be ideal. And, and the fact that then if it was a T, if it was white ball only, that potentially takes up a bit more time than I'd be willing to give up as well. But so, but I mean, I'd, I'd have a look at it. I'd, I'd, if they wanted to put something in front of me and um, I'd definitely enter, I'd definitely have a look at it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, well, it's uh, one to one to keep an eye on for sure, Ricky. We've uh, we've really enjoyed having your uh, your insights uh, on for the summer, mate, and um, look forward to hearing from you again soon. Yeah, it's been great fun, mate. Thanks, Louis. Well, Louis, that was Ricky Ponting, and you were lucky enough to speak to the great man after every day's play of the Ashes series. Tell us, did you feel like you got some nuggets out of the great man? Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully, I mean, I've had a lot of good feedback about um, about you know people listening to the podcast and um, listening to to Ricky. If not me, you probably got sick of me talking a little bit. But yeah, it was um, it was really good. He uh, he's a good cricket brain, isn't he? 
Yeah, he's brilliant, isn't he? Um, not sure we got quite as many commentary wicket predictions as last summer on Channel 7, but his insights are always great. 100%, 100%. He's, uh, yeah, he, he was pretty amazing last year with some of the ones on Channel 7. Um, he's, he's pretty damn sharp. So we saw the first ever Ashes test in Hobart, and you were there, Lou. Um, tell us about the experience of being at the ground and what it was like, and should we see Ashes cricket in Hobart again? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's probably only ever going to be a, a fallback option, really. I mean, the the only reason they got this one was because Perth, um, you know, just are in a point of a pandemic where they're basically op- operating as a as a different country. So you would think that next time uh, England come back, I mean, you know, speaking of predictions, it's pretty hard to know what the world's going to look like in four years. But you'd think you'd probably go back to the the main five cities, and, and Perth is one of them. Um, and Perth, you know, probably the poor people there probably could do with a test match. But yeah, I think I think we know now that Hobart can do it. It was a great venue. Um, it, it it was really fantastic just how it um, how it operated. I thought it was a really great pitch. Probably erred, um, not erred, but probably um, tilted slightly in the in the favour of the bowlers. But um, you know, I I think the way England batted probably made it seem worse than it than it really was. Um, so definitely a, a fallback option, I think. Um, but, you know, just pure uh, geography or uh, population-wise would, would say that Perth probably probably will, will take um, will take when England come back in, in four years' time. You've been to a lot of the venues around Australia. So where does Hobart rank for you as far as test cricket venues go? Yeah, yeah, right up there. I mean, Perth Stadium is is really incredible. Like they've just done such a great job in how they've set that up and the technology around it is um it's kind of like a like a futuristic MCG almost and, and slightly smaller. Um and, and Perth people really turn out for for all the games of cricket. Um I've I've done there. I did the ODI in 20 18, I think it was between Australia and England, which is fantastic and and the, you know, the BBL games are really well attended. So um but Hobart's great. I, I mean, I'm not sure about the day-night thing and whether they'd do that again. Like, I, I think that the day-night one was, you know, was really done because broadcasters ha- had penciled in a, a later time slot. So um, 3 p.m. starts were really late and you try not to, as a, you know, journo covering it, you try not to let that influence you too much because, you know, obviously our life is different um, when we're writing things and, and publishing podcasts and all that kind of thing at, at 11 p.m. at night. We've got to think about what the fan wants and, Personally, you know, people I speak to seem to think that um, that they are just as happy with a day test as, as a day night, and and I think the players like that too. They they kind of accept Adelaide and um, you know like like that as the uh, being one on the schedule. But yeah, I think it, you know personally, I'd love to see it go back to a to that one being a day test, and then Adelaide's a, a really good day night option, I think too. Yeah, if we look ahead to the future tours program, we've got South Africa and the West Indies in Australia next summer for test matches. I think that might be three and two, so five tests for the summer. Does that mean that Hobart misses out again? And would they be unlucky if that's the case? Yeah, I guess it probably would, but you just never know. Like with, I mean, you wouldn't have predicted Hobart was going to get the test this summer and they kind of had to turn to him at the last minute. You also got Canberra who did a good job of hosting Sri Lanka a couple of years ago. Um, so you probably know you got seven really, you know, top top test venues. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see, see Test Creek go back to Hobart for sure. So maybe it's worth revisiting our pre-Ashes series predictions as well because we made a few on this podcast and... 
I'm not sure too many have come off, but uh, you did make a series prediction scoreline um, 2-1, I think you said, with two draws. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk us through how that one panned out? I'm trying to remember where I said the draws would be, and if one of them was in Perth, then... Um then, you know, maybe I could be excused for that, you know, embarrassing prediction. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, maybe I overestimated how good England might be, but they, they were, they were awful. Yeah. There's no two, two ways of putting it. Um, so I'm going to pin that on them and, and not my own, um, my own stupidity. Um, and then it probably wasn't as wet as we, you know, everyone was talking about La Nina and, and all this stuff and it didn't really pan out that way, did it? What was your prediction? Uh, well, I just listened back and I don't think I made a serious prediction, but I was certainly erring on that coward. side. That, uh, <laughs> coward. <laughs> Mate, maybe I was just waiting for you to ask me the question and it never came, you know? Yeah, selfish from me, sorry. Uh, we did both make a player of the series prediction. You went with Josh Hazelwood and I went with Manus Labashane. Um, maybe you can consider yourself a little bit unlucky with your Hoff prediction, mate. Yeah, I think he was clearly on to be player of the series from from what we saw um, in the first innings at the Gabba. Um, and as you pointed out before we started recording, that the the guy who was in you know ostensibly for him was um, was Scott Boland. And if he'd played all five tests and carried that form, you know, into the into the previous the first two tests, he he probably would have been player of the series the way he bowled. So um, yeah, unfortunate for for Hazelwood, but I, I reckon I'll let myself off the hook for that one. Um, and my bold prediction on Marcus Harris, I mean, I, I'd said that he would make two centuries in the series. He didn't make one. He did make 76 at the MCG, and I think that was a really tough batting pitch. So I'm going to say that was the equivalent of a century. So uh, I'll say I was half right with my bold prediction. Right. Well, it was the highest score of the test, wasn't it? And it was a very, well, a short test, three days it was over. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe you can give him that. Not quite. No, what was your bold prediction? My bold prediction was that there would be a tied test in the series and I thought as England started well in their second innings in Hobart that I might be on, um, but unfortunately they fell over like a house of cards and um, the, the tie was not even close in the end. So I have to keep waiting for that one. Yeah, bad luck on that one. But, yeah, you were right. They did start well. Uh, so let's look at what's next for Australia. Next test series for them is going to be Pakistan in Pakistan starting in early March. But before that, um, a couple of white ball games scheduled. And uh, I assume these T20s will be gearing up for the T20 World Cup at the end of the year. What are we expecting to see in the T20 side? Are we going to see our World Cup winners back at full strength or are they going to be tinkering a little bit, do you think, to make sure things are right in Australian conditions? Yeah, that's a good question. It'll be interesting to see how the schedule shakes out um, I know they're kind of looking at it with, um, I mean, the first game is supposed to be on the 31st, which as I look at the calendar, that's about two weeks from now. Um, and there's some talk about New Zealand uh, just with the quarantine restrictions going back to New Zealand that they might they might even come out here for, for longer than, um, than previously anticipated and there could be more games for them. Um, yeah, in terms of the T20 team, I think that the fast bowlers are going to need a rest at some point. Um, and I mean, maybe Hazelwood can can play, uh, can play everything. Given he's you know missed, he only played one of the the five tests this summer. But I really think they need to look after Stark and Cummins, particularly with the the big year they've got coming up, which I know we're going to touch on in a bit. 
maybe David Warner as well, maybe Steve Smith as well. Um, and then you'd, but you'd think probably apart from that, I mean, it would be interesting with some of the guys who've been the BBL all summer, how kind of fatigued they are just from a probably more mental fatigue than physical, because those bubbles are, are tough. Um, and, and you really have heard, you know, someone like Glenn Maxwell, who's, um, who's battled COVID and then has come back into a bubble. Like I think that, um, that might be taxing, but, um, but yeah, you'd think you'd think those guys would be be pretty keen to get back out there. So um, yeah, I think you'd you'd see the bulk of that squad. Yeah, and while we heard Ricky Ponting uh, nominate Riley Meredith, he might be another who comes in f- if the pace bowlers are sort of rested. Um, yeah, even Swepson in England. So he also mentioned you know a, a ride on the cusp. So um, yeah, we I think we could see some you know fresher faces, but it'll be good to see the World Cup winners you know on home soil. Uh, in, in, a, in a few weeks. Yeah, and they'll have to really start thinking about whether that World Cup team that won in the UAE is, you know, the bulk of them, do they want them to be playing in Australia later this year? Um, you, you, the guys you mentioned, plus maybe someone like Ben McDermott, is he someone you um, you, you look to get into that team in, in some kind of role, just given success he's had in the Big Bash Um yeah, so they're, they're kind of the questions. I guess the other one is is whether Matthew Wade is, um, you know, he, he had a cracking World Cup. So um, if they're comfortable with him batting at that six and seven slot, um, yeah, do they stick with him? Um, so off the top of my head, they're, they're kind of the ones that, that they might look at. But I, I think it'll it'll be mainly a similar team that they that they go with. And so Lou, Australia's opponents in the just concluded Ashes Series England, they weren't at their best. It wasn't the most competitive series we've ever seen. Um, what's your takeaway? Were Australia just far too good or were England just really awful? Australia were great, don't get me wrong, but I think the the bigger um, decisive factor in the series was, was England being pretty poor. Like uh, I think it got, got glossed over a little bit how meek their surrender was on the final day. Like uh, I mean... Uh, from from that test, probably Joe Root and Mark Wood are the only ones who could really hold their heads up high. And I, I just thought that maybe, you know, guys like Wokes and, and Robinson kind of really threw their wickets away towards the end. I thought that one of them or, or just someone in that in that middle to lower order could have kind of put their hand up and made the test go into a fourth day. Like you would have thought there would have been some real drive to, to you know, just make the Aussies work for something in this series and, um, and they didn't, and it's you know that's two three day finishes that we've we've kind of had. So um, yeah, when you look at it, I mean, do you think anyone apart from I mean Crawley's probably advanced his reputation at the back end of the series. Mark Wood definitely did with um, how he bowled all series, uh, and, and particularly in um, and particularly in Hobart. Johnny Bairstow is probably another one, but I don't know if there's heaps that advance their reputations apart from those three. Jack Leach's role was sort of, he was in and then he was out, so he couldn't get any consistency. And it seemed the same a bit for Broad as well. He missed the first and the third tests. Um, and by the time he was actually bowling well, you know, the series was sort of over. So um, they didn't do themselves any favours with their selection either. No, it would have been really frustrating for, for someone like Broad, um, some probably for, for Wood as well. I mean... The fact that he bowled more overs than any other England bowler for the series, and more than half of them were bowled when the series was dead, what you know, what were they thinking by leaving him out in Adelaide? Um, and and you've got to commend. 
I mean, one, I mean, even the positives for them have a negative aspect to it. So you, you look at Joe Root, I think his character throughout this series has been unquestionable. I mean, even just observing him at the end of the Hobart test, he was, um, he was trying to take socially distant selfies with the fans and um, trying to interact with the, the England um, supporters who were there. And, and I just think he's been, he's shown so much character to carry himself the way he did, but, you know, tactical, tactical, Tactics wise, I think he he missed the you know when the series was live, the way he bowled Leach in Brisbane had a detrimental effect for him over the you know the rest of the series. Then in Adelaide, he he clearly wasn't on the same page as his fast bowlers, and and basically admitted as much um, after the game. So so you know there's there's two kind of um, series defining tactical errors. So. And then another one, uh, another positive with a negative kind of connotation to it was Ollie Robinson, who bowled beautifully in the in the first bit of the series in particular, and really looked like um, just a, a test bowler for all conditions. Um, and, and then he really fell away towards the end of the series to the point where his own bowling coach was calling him unfit. I mean, so it, it must have been incredibly, um, you know, disheartening for for um, a lot of aspects of it for England. Yeah, certainly. Um, but do you think when the time comes for 2023, the next Ashes series in England, it's going to be a close contest again, isn't it? I mean, it always seems to be over there. Yeah, I, I imagine it will be because they're, um, England are much stronger in their home conditions and, and Australia are much weaker in, um, in England. They you know, um, competed really well in 2019. Yeah, it, it will be interesting. I mean, you think there's probably more... I'm trying to think about how we felt about the Aussie team in 2017-18 and, you know, whether we were as positive about their chances going, you know, looking to 2019, two years away. I feel like we're, there's probably a little bit more um, to hang your hats on if you're an Aussie supporter. You know, the way Cameron Green's come through in this series and emerged as a genuine test all-rounder. The way Travis Head, who is probably, you know, previous, you know, the, the fact that he wasn't a lock for this series kind of reflected the fact that he'd struggled in Pakistan on debut, um, uh, you know, fair enough because the whole team did. He'd also struggled in, in England in 2019, also um, fair enough, and he'd, he'd cashed in uh, for his two centuries against Sri Lanka and New Zealand in home conditions against slightly weaker opponents. Um, so now you'd think you know, he's really ready to take the, the, the ball by the horns in Pakistan and Sri Lanka, um, and, and fast bowling stocks are really healthy. So you'd think there's a little bit more... Um, yeah, optimism, I, I suppose, that Australia could be a real force, home and away. Now, it's from one Ashes series to the next. The women's Ashes starts in just a few days' time at the time that we recorded this podcast, Australia versus England. It'll be three T20s, a test match, and three ODIs to decide the women's Ashes. Hopefully, Australia can do the double this year and secure the men's and the women's. And if you want to follow that along via podcast form as well, the Scoop podcast is your one-stop shop for all Women's Ashes stuff. Hosts LJ and M have definitely got you covered in that regard. Louis, thanks for wrapping up the Ashes with me, and I'll talk to you very, very soon. No worries, Josh. Speak soon. Hold up. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.